0: are with book authors.
1: Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session.
0: Mike Sealski is the author of a brand new book. It's terrific. It's called Kobe Bryant, The Rise, The Pursuit of Immortality. He's a Philadelphia Inquirer columnist, and it's great to have him back on the program. Congratulations on the book. I read it, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. What's so unique is it's not Kobe, the NBA star. It's Kobe Bryant, primarily the high school
1: superstar. Begin by telling me about the tapes. Sure, Michael, thank you for having me on. Um, so back in the mid to late 1990s, Kobe and a confidant and friend of his, a guy named Jeremy Treatman tried to collaborate on a book together. It was going to be a memoir of Kobe as he transitioned from lower Marion high school into the NBA. The book never came off and Treatment kept transcripts of some of the interviews And the micro cassette tapes, but threw them in a box and didn't worry about them for a quarter century. So when I got the idea in the spring of 2020 to try to do this book, I've known Jeremy for a while. I reached out to him. We talked. He gave me those transcripts, but he couldn't find the tapes. Fast forward to December 22nd, 2020, three days before Christmas. He's cleaning out his garage, and he calls me up, and he he has found the tapes. So I rushed over there the next morning. I got the tapes. I spent the next month listening to them and kind of weaving them into the narrative of the book. And you're going to be able by reading this book. And there's also a podcast that kind of complements the book. You hear Kobe as he was 17, 18, 19 years old in a way nobody's ever heard him before.
0: Yeah, I've not heard the audio. I've not listened to the podcast, but I, of course, read the book. And I know what you drew on in writing the book. But what's it like to listen to the voice of
1: a young Kobe Bryant? Chills. Just absolute chills. Um, It's like you're hearing a voice from beyond the grave. Uh, And it was so much better and so much more intimate to be able to listen to these tapes than to go back and read a book or read old newspaper articles or magazine articles or even talk to some of his friends about what he might have been thinking or feeling at a particular moment. On these tapes, he's telling Jeremy Oh, let's cover the state championship run in 1996. Let's talk about the draft. Let's talk about his thoughts on Dell Harris, his first head coach with the Lakers. Here's what I really think of Shaquille O'Neal when I first meet him. Meeting Magic Johnson, meeting Michael Jordan, you have 18-year-old Kobe living the moment in the moment and talking about it.
0: Kobe Bryant was such a high school phenom that the 76ers under coach John Lucas allowed him to practice with the team?
1: That was the turning point in his whole life. Uh, Right up until that moment, um, you know, he's thinking he's going to go play in the NBA, but he doesn't quite know what he wants to do. Is he going to go to college? He's thinking he might be able to turn pro right out of high school. And as you said, in 1995, John Lucas, whose daughter was a classmate of Kobe's, that's how he knew about him, invites him to scrimmage and practice with the Sixers over the summer of 1995. And Kobe goes toe-to-toe with Jerry Stackhouse and Sean Bradley and Rick Mahorn, all these pickup games and scrimmages at St. Joseph's University and Episcopal Academy. And it's there that Kobe realizes, you know what? I don't need to go to college. I don't have to go to Duke. I don't have to go to LaSalle. I don't have to go to North Carolina. I can make this jump. And what's really cool about it is that he kind of keeps it to himself. There's only so many people that he tells that he's going to do this. That this is his plan. This is all kind of happening behind the scenes while outwardly he's kind of giving these anodyne answers to the question. What are you going to do, Kobe? What are you going to do? I don't know. I'll make the decision when I make the decision, but he already had his mind made up. He was going. Straight how, were to the the,
0: how were the 76ers? I mean, I know from reading the book that, that he then develops a relationship with, with Stackhouse, but when he first walks into the St. Joe's field house or the Episcopal Academy or wherever it was for the first time, what was their view? What do you mean we're going to play with some kid from
1: high school? Yeah, that's just it. They thought he was a kid from high school. I mean he was six foot six but skinny. He had just started kind of going through um a real regimented training program uh, with a guy named Joe Carbone who had been the sixers trainer. In fact, Lucas tells Carbone, work with this kid. John Lucas had his heart set on taking Kobe. In the 1996 draft, he got fired before he could, (laughs) and the Sixers ended up taking Allen Iverson. But, yeah, all these pros are like, who is this kid? You know, who does he play for? Lower Marion, he plays in high school. Maurice Cheeks said that. Um, Harold Katz, the team's owner, who's watching these scrimmages, says that. And then they start to play. And there are days where he is dominating, you know, he's going toe to toe with Jerry Stackhouse, who had been the third pick in the previous year's draft and was thought to be the Sixers savior. Um, And it's just this amazing moment where a guy who's destined for greatness realizes, realizes, yes, I can make this jump. I can do this. Mike, it could
0: have been a Hollywood ending. I know some people will listen to this and they'll say, well, it was a Hollywood ending because he went to the Lakers. But the Sixers had, correct me if I'm wrong, they had the number one pick. They did take AI. And of course, there was that 2000, I guess it was, and one legendary final series where it's the Lakers and the Sixers. I'll never forget it, even if I can't remember the year. But why didn't the Sixers take him?
1: Well, you have to put Kobe coming out into the draft in its context at the time, Michael. In 1996, the idea of a high school kid, especially one as skinny, and kind of wispy as Kobe, making the jump was unheard of and considered too great a risk. Now, Kevin Garnett, the year before, had made the jump from high school to the NBA and been the fifth pick. But he was seven feet tall. He, he looked like and was built like a man coming out of high school. The perception was that Kobe wasn't. Uh, and so the Sixers have the number one pick. There are people in their front office who are lobbying them to take Kobe. Uh, in fact, and in fact, Kobe's one of Kobe's coaches at lower Marion calls the Sixers front office and gets Brad Greenberg, the team's general manager at the time, and says, you got to take this kid. I coached him. It'll be the smartest thing you ever do. But Iverson was perceived to be the safer pick. The Sixers needed offense. And of course, I mean, it's hard to fault the Sixers for drafting Allen Iverson number one overall. But Kobe would have been something to see in Philadelphia.
0: Reading your book, The Rise, inspired me to get in my car. As the crow flies, my studio is a mile from the house where Kobe Bryant grew up, right? I guess it would have been eighth grade when he comes back from Italy through the lower Marian years. But I never knew the house. I never was inclined to go find the house. I was disappointed when I got there that the hoop was gone between the garage doors, by the way, Mike Sealski, you know, I I think the book is going to do well. You could do a lot worse than buying that house because it's for sale right now, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, but talk to me about his upbringing and and that house and what it was like for him to grow up in lower Marion, Pennsylvania.
1: Well, quick story, Michael. So last Labor Day, not this most recent one, but Labor Day, 2020, I found out, as you said, that the house was up for sale And using my repertorial skills, I managed to get in contact with the couple who was selling it, who had bought it from Joe and Pam. And by 11 o'clock Labor Day morning, I was in Kobe Bryant's bedroom, um, his old bedroom, (laughs) wandering around the house getting a tour. So, I mean, this to me is one of the most interesting aspects of Kobe's story, right? He kind of drops out of the sky in the fall of 1991 from Italy into Lower Marion Township. We all know the, the, the perceptions and the stereotypes of the main line, old money, WASP, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's so diverse economically, socially, racially. And yet Kobe hasn't had the upbringing that really any kid in that school district has had. He hasn't had the upbringing that most of the black students have had. He hasn't had the, uh, hasn't had the upbringing that most of the white students have had. So for the first you know few weeks or months or so, while he's at Lower Merion High School, He's passing his sisters in the hallway and they're speaking Italian to each other. He doesn't know what's cool in terms of fashion, music, TV, any of that stuff. And basketball is his way in. And then once he gets in because of his background in Italy, um, he's able to, to assimilate quickly and get to know people on different levels. He's friends with the jocks. He's friends with the honor students because he's taking their classes. He's friends with the kids who like rap music. And by the time he's his, his years in Lower Merion are finished, he is the most popular and recognizable figure in that entire school. You, You write page
0: 159, several black male students, some West Philly born, some Ardmore raised, didn't like Kobe. They doubted and questioned his racial credibility. It was a charge that he couldn't escape either on the basketball court or in the halls of his high school. Speak to that.
1: Well, that gets to exactly what I'm saying, Michael, is that he didn't grow up in Ardmore. He didn't grow up in West right. Philly. He's coming out of, an, out of an environment where in Italy, you know, obviously there aren't going to be all that many black families from America in Italy over there while Joe is playing professionally and the family's living its life. But that allows Kobe to kind of in some way see past color. And so once he comes back to Lower Merion, there's this territorial aspect of, hey, you're soft. You didn't grow up the way that we did. And it was something that Kobe, in his basketball career, even at that young age, tried to emotionally kind of protect himself and gird himself against. He had a friend. The two of them would go around to playgrounds around the city and Lower Marion. They would play basketball together, and the friend had two jobs. He was to rebound all of Kobe's shots, and he was to yell and scream at Kobe while Kobe was working out. You're too soft. You go to a white school. You're not black enough because these are the things Kobe was hearing and that he was going to hear throughout the rest of his high school years and into the NBA. I'm not going to give
0: away all of the rise for free. People need to buy the book. They will love the book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And not just because of the local flavor, but here's a tidbit. That's just too good not to mention. So Kobe Bryant, who goes from high school to the NBA was voted most likely to succeed, was not voted best athlete. Mm-hmm.
1: He only played one sport, Michael. How can he be the best <laughs> athlete in this class if he's only playing one sport? Um, what's interesting, though, is that when he was in eighth grade, he did play baseball uh, in the spring that year. And then when he entered Lower Marion, he tried to play soccer. And his father and his basketball coach said, Shut it uh, down. No, 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 no. Not, no, yeah, yeah. Right. That's not soccer. happening. We need that is basketball. not happening. Exactly.
0: Hey, um, so he goes from, there's a lot of talk about Coach K in the book, which I also enjoyed because I'm I'm intrigued by the success of the Duke program. If it hadn't been straight to the NBA, would it have been
1: Duke? Yes, it absolutely would have been. I spent a lot of time in the book exploring, yes, exploring the relationship between Kobe and LaSalle, which is my alma mater, which you know, for a time, Kobe did consider going there because his dad, Joe, was an assistant basketball coach there. But as the process went along, he and Coach K really bonded. Um, They ended up, Kobe ended up playing for K during the 2008 and 2012 Summer Olympics. Um, But yeah, if he was going to go to college, he was going to go to Duke. But once, as we said, that summer of 95 happens, college is an afterthought to him. He is, uh, you know, pointed directly to the NBA and convinced that he can make the jump. It seems like Kobe's
0: high school coach, there's some funny stuff about Dr. George Smith, who I guess was his initial middle school coach, right, and and wanted Mm -hmm. much more of a passing regimen than Kobe was suited for. But it seems that Greg Downer, who was his high school coach, really did have a positive impact. They bonded. They, of course, won the state championship in 1996.
1: Greg Downer knew what he had in Kobe Bryant the first time he saw him. And really, as you pointed out, yeah, as you pointed out, George Smith, the eighth grade coach, very nice gentleman, but was kind of like Gene Hackman and Hoosiers, right? You pass the ball four or five times before you shoot it. No one player is more important than the other. Greg Downer saw Kobe and was like, oh, my God, we have Michael Jordan in our gymnasium. And so by the time Kobe's a senior, Greg kind of builds a a modern coaching staff to kind of accommodate and coach Kobe. He gets a former division one and pro player to guard Kobe in practice. He gets a media relations representative, basically, in Jeremy Treatment to handle all the newspapers and TV stations. And he basically says, we're not going to play the Princeton offense. We're not going to overthink this. We're going to give the ball to Kobe and we're going to get out of the way. And they end up winning a district and state championship.
0: Mike, if you had to identify of the modern era, I don't even know what that is, but the two most famous Philadelphians, uh, I would put at the top of the list, Kevin Hart and Kobe Bryant. And I learned from reading the rise, their paths crossed at basketball camp.
1: Tell that story. Sure. Well, Speedy Morris, the longtime coach at LaSalle university used to hold a summer basketball camp at the, the practice facility. There was kind of legendary for being this Philly kind of camp, really, you know, raw, bare bones. And Kevin Hart went one or two years and actually roomed with Kobe. Kevin has talked about this on The Tonight Show and on YouTube. Um, now, how much of his the story he tells is apocryphal and how much of it isn't it is left to the imagination. But at one point, he approaches Kobe uh, and says, hey, man, you know, what Division I program do you think I should go to? Should I go to North Carolina or Duke? What do you think? And Kobe just laughs at him and walks away. Um, you know, and Kevin tells the story about how Kobe, you know, played the whole camp left-handed. And I asked Speedy Morris and his son Keith about that. And they said, well, we don't know if that happened, whatever, but they definitely (laughs) were in camp together. And Kevin definitely learned like basketball was not his future. Laughter and entertainment were going to be his future. Can I say one other thought? I'm 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 that rare
0: reader who reads the acknowledgments. Usually I do it at the outset instead of the end of the book. And I know that the family was not necessarily cooperative, not necessarily hostile either, but maybe because of the raw emotion from his tragic passing. But I would think that they would love this book. I would think that the the whole Bryant family would really be appreciative of all of the work that you put into this to uncover what those high school years were all about.
1: Well, I appreciate that, Michael. I did reach out to Joe and Pam. I wrote them a letter and sent them some samples of my writing in the hopes that they would talk to me. Um, I didn't hear back from them directly. I did hear from intermediaries that they were aware I was doing the book, but they haven't spoken publicly, to my knowledge, um, to any media entities or outlets at all. So the fact that they didn't speak to me, I was okay with that. Um, If they had given a big interview to ESPN or Sports Illustrated or something like that, that would have been different. But I understand and... And as I said in the acknowledgments, all I can do is respect that and, and hope that if they read this book, which I want to be an honest rendering of who Kobe was and who he came to be, good, bad, complex, I hope that reading it brings them a little bit of joy or something closer to joy.
0: The book is called The Rise, Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality. I wish you all good things. It's terrific. People should buy and read it. And it's it's a nice departure from a lot of what we're dealing with in the world today. Mike Sealski is the author. Thank you, Mike. I wish you good things and I'll see you soon.
1: Thank you so much, Michael.
0: Really a terrific book. Uh, check it out, The Rise. TC, it occurs to me after reading Mike's book that in very close proximity to us, uh, there would have been a victory parade, and Kobe Bryant, after winning the state championship, would have paraded on the streets near where we are in the back of a fire truck. That's unbelievable to think about. That's a picture I need to have. We got to track it down. I, I want to have a picture of Kobe, uh, you know, on the streets of Ardmore, PA. Must track it down. Yeah, Mike Sielski's book is called
1: "The Rise." Hear more of Michael Smirconish on SiriusXM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SiriusXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Tuesdays and Fridays. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland for innovators everywhere. Visit highland.com.
0: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not
1: a problem. Uh, Races, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.